Welcome to the Modern Savage Podcast. This is episode 10. My guests today are Peter Sandroni, the head chef and owner of La Marenda, an engine company number three in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Nate Norfolk, sommelier and director of wine and spirits at Ray's Wine and Spirits in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. I had a great time speaking with these two gentlemen. Nate has been a friend for years, and recently I've had the pleasure of getting to know Peter. Not only do we talk about food and wine, but travel culture, history, and also the importance of supporting the local community. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. All right, and so we're rolling. So, hey, gentlemen. Hey, yeah, thanks. For good cheers. wine, good food. Oh, man. Cheers. Uh, salut on a, uh, on a Wednesday evening. So, Peter, since most people of my audience probably are not familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your story and and La Miranda and how that came to be and where things are at. That's a long story. So um, who's your audience? And we can decide how long I want to go on that. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I, I'm a chef. I own a restaurant called La Miranda. I own another restaurant called Engine Company Number 3. Mm-hmm. And um, both of them are representations of uh, things that I like. So, for example, Engine Company Number Three is a brunch place, and I was a partner in a brunch restaurant in Chicago called the Bonga Room okay. years ago. Sure. And I was trying to emulate that restaurant, but in Milwaukee, not quite. But um, I like what we came up with. It's a it's a neat restaurant. And then La Miranda is um, small plates, which you know now we have a small plate on every corner in Milwaukee. We weren't the first to do tapas, but we were the first to do small plates from around the world for sure and that was born out of the idea of a chef i worked for in chicago she was filipino okay she is i shouldn't say was um i just spoke to her so i know she's still alive she um, opened up a really cool filipino restaurant in chicago and it was only open for dinner and um i was her sous chef okay and as sous chef at the time it was um my job one of many of my jobs was to make sure that we got family meal put out for staff so we would all sit down before we'd open for dinner and we would we would sit and have a meal together and um i had previously before working for her worked at a couple of french restaurants a couple of italian restaurants two other asian restaurants one of which i met her at um a hodgepodge of a couple different kinds of styles of restaurants um one seafood it was i had purposely worked at a lot of different restaurants in chicago to learn as much as i could and Filipino food's unique because it's half Chinese, half Asian, because it's not just Chinese, but mostly Chinese and half Spanish. Right. And she presented her food in tapas form, which really? is not uncommon to find Filipino food in Manila in tapas form. Sure. Outside of Manila, maybe not, and outside of the Philippines for sure. So right. she was one of the first to do that for sure. But her thought was that she really wanted to force people into trying Filipino food. So if I made them smaller, you'd have to get more. That makes sense. It allows you to sort of tie it's it's sort of a sampler platter then. I mean in a very sort of simplistic way of putting it. But exactly that. And and and, and it was her goal was definitely reached. I mean, all these people came in from all over the Chicago area to try her food, mm-hmm. mostly not Filipino. No, that's not true. I'd say half Filipino, half not. Okay. And um she nailed it. She did a great job. So I would do family meal and with all these different cuisines that we had Chinese and Spanish to work with. It represents a fair amount of different cultures. I mean, Spanish is not just Spanish food. I mean, Correct. there's French and Italian, whole host of other cuisines represented here. And then Chinese has got, you know, the whole Southeast Asia right there is all represent. So I would make all these foods from all over the world for family meal all the time. 
Really? And she's like, you are so adept at cooking all these different cuisines. You should do a small plate rep restaurant representing all the cuisines that you're capable of doing. How is it that you decided to come to Milwaukee when you had spent so much time in Chicago? A couple of reasons. One, um, I didn't have confidence in my skills that I could hold up to the to the caliber of the chefs that I was working with in Chicago. Okay. I was a bit intimidated by the people I'd had worked for okay. or were working with that I didn't think I could hold up to what they were doing. But I did know that I could hold up to Milwaukee. And the other thing I knew about Milwaukee that I knew wasn't was true about Chicago, and it still is to this day, unless you are like one of the best chefs in Chicago, and I mean best, I mean you got to be top ten. Right. Your restaurant will not be that significant after a few years. Right. Because people are always looking for what's new. Correct. Like that's always interesting to me. I think that one of the things that I enjoy about cuisine is someone who is able to produce exceptional quality consistently. And I think that a, a chef who is able to do many different presentations at a high level over a period of years, you're, you're proving yourself then. You're, you're, that's a demonstration of consistent talent. And every time that I've ever gone to La Miranda, like I've never had a bad bite of food there. And I think that that always speaks to the quality of what you guys do. Not only yourself as the head chef there, but the people that you bring in under you. And the last time that the three of us had a chance to sort of sit and talk there, one of the things that I enjoyed the most was your emphasis on your producers, which I think is so important and something that you seem to really stress. Where, where does that come from? Because I don't think that that is as widely a cherished belief as maybe I wish it was. Well, um, some of it comes from the influence of the people I worked with in Chicago, um, always meaning that they were always sourcing what would be the, they felt were the best ingredients. So if you can get it, why wouldn't you buy it? And in many cases, buying locally is definitely going to be the case. Um, so we first start off with buying what we hoped and would, and ended up being the best ingredients. Um, we buy locally because we want to support the community because I feel in the philosophy of uh, if you want the support from the community, you got to also give back. Absolutely. In order to take, you got to give. Um, there's other reasons, environmental reasons that I like to buy locally. Um, economic impact, I like to buy locally. Um, we, we started out not knowing how to do it. I mean, I knew where to buy cheese and meat and 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 beer from but i didn't know how to get a lot of the other things <laughs> so i was randomly at um amaranth bakery trying to convince the owner of amaranth to to make bread for our restaurant because it was it is the best baguette in milwaukee although i do love rocket baby a lot and the baguette i brought is actually from uh troubadour mm -hmm. Um, and I love Troubadour because they can keep up with our volume and Rocket Baby just has had an issue with our volume that we needed. And Amaranth said, no, they didn't want to do it. They just, this is what we're doing. And, and I respect it. This is what, hey, this is how you want to run your business. Great. I love the fact that that's what you want to do. But while I was there trying to do a hard sell on this guy to make baguettes for me, was the owner of a small organic farm in Oak, Oak Creek called um, Pinehole Garden. Dave oh, yeah. and Sandy. Yeah, David Kozlowski They were on a CSA too. Yeah. 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 So so Dave was there at the time, and he's like, well, what are you going to do about your vegetables? And it's so funny 
I mean, Milwaukee's small and life is weird. And how you, Sandy's brother Randy, Randy and Sandy, I love that, yeah. <laughs> Sandy's brother Randy had just sold my point of sale system that we were installing at La Marina. Point of sale, POS system to like plug in the orders that are right. the servers put in that come out in the kitchen. Yeah. And Randy had just told me about his sister's farm. Oh, wow. I mean, literally was, the day before. Yeah. Oh, and didn't didn't make it do his name. You didn't well, name it. He said, oh, no, I didn't farm. know at the time. Yeah. But then I'm like, how many how many organic farms are in Co- Oak Creek? And there can't be that many, this, right? This would have been like oh seven. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So yeah. So I go to I go to Dave. I go, is your wife Sandy? And he's like, yes. <laughs> and I go, I just met Randy, and he starts laughing. So it started, you know. So they were extremely helpful, and okay. they were very gracious and. They're all about buying locally for all the reasons I had stated, but they are also very community driven and they produce what they produce. They mm-hmm. don't produce more. Their land won't allow them to. And they're very smart about how they they cultivate their land and they do proper crop rotation and, and all the things that you'd want someone to right. be farming to do properly. So they would be like, well, we don't make that, but this farm does that. And then it's amazing how they shallow sh- the pond is and how many people know each other in certain communities. And if you get just plugged into one or two, right. all of a sudden so many doors open up. Yeah. And those guys, Pinehold's probably the only folks in in Milwaukee County that are doing a CSA. I and think have they're a the farm. last. They're like last one. They have the a last farm one. at that level. You know, that, I mean, since growing power and all that. I mean, that's Correct. its whole folded that's a that's its own saga yeah i didn't realize that you like because i i met peter like right before what, we opened because i was looking no, for right, androni wines right after it would have been like april of 07 was it because i was like where the where the fuck is this place yeah because <laughs> i'd look at i'd look at the address and i'd be like oh i've never went east of water street on national avenue right i mean no i just ne- i was like it's because e-, i remember i even went west i was like it's got to be here somewhere 125 and i was like what the fuck and like you know finally i'm like oh oh wow you know and I, yeah i mean it was yeah and he, so i mean we opened we was, opened as smartphones were coming out so we we're literally a month younger than the iphone and I don't even know if they had like all the technology they had back then, but I didn't get an iPhone to like maybe number five. And um, but I remember cab drivers dropping people off at one two five West National, yep. not East. So people were like all calling us, "Where are you?" We'd have to walk out and wave at people. We're down here. Well, the fact that it was kind of like one of these like little hidden gems, right? That it wasn't sort of out of one of the main places. It was just sort of in this sort of tucked away part of the city that not a lot of people went to. But I think that. You guys were probably the first real flag planted in the ground over there. I mean, that and and the fact that it's had the staying power that it has is 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 awesome. We had a lot of little things going for us at the time. Um, it, there's not as much of an instant gratification back then as there is now. You know, we didn't have to. We were able to grow our business organically and a little bit slower and kind of grow with it as people as our sales and the amount of people came in kind of went with it you can't do that now anymore i don't think you can at least i mean things have to go faster people want everything bigger bigger faster stronger like instantaneously and i purposely grew the restaurant at a rate in which was organic and sustainable and but don't you think or do you get the sense that there is perhaps 
a swing of the pendulum back to that, that I know personally that, that myself and, and the people in my circle seek those things out specifically, that we don't want the flash in the pan or the instant gratification, but we're looking for someone who is, you know, I feel like this word has been a little bit abused, but like artisanal in what they do, mm -hmm. who appreciates their art, their craft, and cooking, something very near and dear to my heart, is one of the the most beautiful expressions of art. You know, I've said it before. It's where, if done properly, you have the best efforts of the field and the forest and the ocean coming together, like under the master's hands in this amazing presentation on the plate. It's a representation of history, of place, of culture, of all these things. And it's this ability to sort of unite people around the table. And the table is where so many great things happen. Good conversation, friendships develop, like wrongs are righted. People have an understanding of things. Maybe someone that you didn't know or thought you knew, you get to know better. And I just think that the whole notion of give it to me fast, give it to me quick, make it cheap. I feel like people perhaps have realized the folly of that and are slowly moving back towards what it is that you're doing. I hope so. That's the sense I, I get in so the circles too. that I run in. No, I mean, we, we've been pushing back against that from day one, but I, I, I mean it in a variety of different ways other than just how we produce our food. Anecdotally, though, and I think this is super important because I'm here to be your cheerleader, too. Um, <laughs> so, President Obama unannounced came and had lunch at Engine Company number three. And they don't tell you in advance because for a variety of reasons. Sure. Right? And he asks Peter when everything's done. He's like, I mean, he noted, saw all the local sources. And then he saw the prices. He's like, how do you do this right. at this price? Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, it, and it's like, well, you know, I mean, and well, I, it's a struggle. It's, it, it, it is. But, but dude, how, like, I'm like a, like on a global level, just as a person and like me being your friend and kind of just loving everything you do. And you're a just incredibly humble guy. And like this is your work, and you're serious about your work, but you're also you you put it out to the people in a way with zero zero pretense, and it's like you know I can bring you know we used to bring my wife's ninety plus year old great uncle there, my folks can come there, you know. It, 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 there's something for everybody. It's and very it's, unassuming, it's and that's very unassuming. That's the thing is yeah. And I think one of the things that has always struck me the most about dining at, at any of your establishments is the fact that the setting speaks for itself and the food speaks for itself. You go to some places and there's a lot of pop and circumstance in an attempt to perhaps make up for deficiencies where it really matters. And where it really matters in this instance is the quality of the food. If the quality of the food is of a sufficient caliber, then I think that you don't need to have that pretense. Why do we come to someplace? I want to go. I want to eat. I want to have good wine. I want to enjoy the company of the people that I'm with in a relaxed environment. Like Francis Mallman is one of my, my favorite chefs oh, yeah. of all time. And if you look at that guy, he marches unapologetically, brazenly to the beat of his own drum. And the stories about him, you know. When the when I forget which award it was that he won, but he wanted to sort of highlight potatoes, so he brought just sacks and sacks of potatoes, still covered in dirt, from 
whichever field and just dumped them all over white linen tablecloths. And people were initially appalled. And then he created these masterful dishes so good that they, that he won this award. And that right there is a testament to the quality of your work. And in the same, I would say, you know, for Peter. Well, I wouldn't put myself in the same category as Francis Mullman, but I think I, I share some of his passion. Um, what I think, what, you know, I mean, back to something that Nate said and touched upon a little bit of what you're saying, Adam, is that, you know, and what you've said on previous episodes of your podcast, we, 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 we charge what we charge. To some people, it's expensive. To some, it's cheap. We take only what we need to take, my wife and I. Mm-hmm. We don't pay ourselves a ton because we don't need to. Um, we live relatively frugal. We don't have time to spend the money anyway. Um, we work too much to spend it. Um, I feel like in the end, you'll get what you deserve. It's a end. very unique perspective and one that I wholeheartedly agree with. But where does that come from? I mean, that's, that is so refreshing to hear, but it's something that I hear very rarely. Where does that where does that come from? I don't know. That's a good question. You know, my my parents raised us that way. That's how we're trying to raise our kids. My dad was conservative, voted Republican, but was the guy that went to church every Sunday. And if you needed help, he helped you. Um, we had a lot of people in our house all the time that my dad was giving assistance to all the time. And um, where did you grow up? Sussex. Okay. I actually was my mom and dad are from New York. Okay. Um, Raised on 76 and Good Hope for a hot second. And yeah. then my dad's company, the company he worked for, moved locations. And Sussex was the, the what he could afford at the time that was convenient for him for his commute. Sure. It was a weird spot. It was a really weird spot for a while. Now Sussex is a really cool spot. It would be a weird, you know, I, it's not what I grew up in. Right. Um, you know, I think my dad instilled in us, you know, a hard work ethic. You know, I have all four of my grandparents are from, well, they're all past, but they were all from Europe. So they're all immigrants and they all sure. worked really hard. One from Ireland, three from Italy. So there was definitely that, that, that you know, hard work ethic. Um, you know, that Catholic background that Nate and I have had discussions about. You know, I'm a recovering Catholic. I'm not saying I'm a very <laughs> big practicing Catholic, but I like a lot of the tenets of the social yeah. worker side of the Catholic church. Catholic churches are beautiful too. Oh, they are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, and the, aesthetically and the, the, they're yeah, very cool. And, the, and there's the mystical appeal of it. Um, yeah. but I don't know where my philosophies come from, and you know, I just why take more than you need to take. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree, but that certainly does not seem to be the shared sentiment among the majority of this country. I think that excess is probably the rule rather than the exception. You know, and. I think that you can look at a lot of right, a lot of yeah. the ills of society, yeah. and a lot of, and also a lot of people's perhaps dissatisfaction with life. If you look at things and how convenient life is now, and how easy life is now, and the fact that people are still so, you know, dissatisfied or unhappy or depressed or whatever you want to say, and I just personally get the feeling that it's because people's priorities are not in the right place, and if the priority was as you said, to not take more than you need and to try and do right by the people that either work for you or are in your circle, then I think not only would the world be a better place, but I think people's satisfaction of life would be much higher than it is. 
I think if you're constantly looking for happiness with a price tag on it somewhere or trying to keep up with the Joneses, both of those roads ultimately lead to to disillusionment. Yeah, I, I feel you. And like, now, it's interesting because I think, you know, especially, and this is a weird, like, not a weird aside, but with the whole COVID thing, you know, like, re- I really was getting misanthropic for a while just because, you know, I, I, I was, and you're, you too, man. I mean, you're like really on the front lines, but I was just like, you know, my joke was like, survived Da Nang only to die of Wuhan, man. You know what I mean? It was just like, I was dealing with people that were like, just so oblivious to the idea of like, like that they had to like, maybe that their actions would affect the, the broader public. Everybody was angry, you know, but, but I've recently thought like, you know, and this is just a big love fest, but you know, I I recently thought like, we kind of have an opportunity now to like, like, you know, change the culture here. I think so. In, in a lot of ways. And like, or, or, or we have, or people doing, there's a continuum, you know, I, 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 I hate to, to look at just quote unquote American culture is like from such a very broad brushstroke as like, there's, 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 you know, like a polar ideas because there's, there's what's so cool is somebody like you has this entrepreneurial spirit and you're able to bring you know, people into the culture of food and beverage that are like probably in their 20s or early 30s now that grew up on garbage food, but they're them and their their progeny and even their families now being brought into this. And it's their it's their norm. It's the way they live their life. And it's a first generation of urban people that now have uh, um you know, an, a reverence for for just food and the culture of food and beverage in a way that's pervasive in the United States that like 20 or 30 years ago, you and I would just have to, you know, I, I would like feverishly read like Robert Parker's Roan book or something or like the latest Jancis Robinson articles in Decanter. And I wouldn't be able to share, I'd share that with a couple people, but I wouldn't have it. It wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to have like a culture around it. And now we do. I mean, even look what we're doing right now. For sure. You know, I mean, that's, that keeps me at least like kind of sane and yeah. wanting to fucking, you know, kill people. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things that what Peter does that is perhaps it's a bit of an undercurrent, but I think is, is so important is that it bridges different communities. And what I mean by that is, as you just said, if you grow up in the city, you, maybe you have not had an opportunity to get out to the farms. But you come into Peter's restaurant and you sit there and you have this amazing food. And as you're having this amazing food, you're like, wow, this is really good. This is undeniably amazing food. And as you're eating this food, drinking this wine, you're looking around you. And what does he have on the walls? He has on the walls pictures of his producers, their farms, their products, whatever, their vegetables, this and that. And if you have even the slightest bit of an inquisitive mind, you have to ask yourself, okay, I know that this place is about farm to table. And here I am at the table and here are these pictures of the farms. And at least in some small way, perhaps, and hopefully in a larger way, it plants the seeds in your mind of wanting to know more about perhaps something that you don't yeah. know. And it allows communities to come together. And I think the the overarching theme that I'm trying to drive at there is that we all need each other. We all need each other. We're all interdependent, right? And people have siloed themselves off and, as you said, polarized things to the point of, 
of just insanity no matter where you look and it's like everyone relax <laughs> we're all on the same team we're all on the same team yeah the restaurateur needs the sommelier needs the patrons needs yeah. the farmers we all need each other and everyone should be able to find a common ground in this and i think that that's the thing that i appreciate so much about like what you do and the way you do it is i get the sense that like consciously or perhaps even unconsciously that is factored into your equation in, in some way is that would you say that that's correct yes yes undeniably um i have worked for some very high-end restaurants i've worked for some uh, number of james beard chefs i've worked for a couple that are michelin rated chefs um i like that food i like that style but it's not what i wanted to do i knew that it wouldn't fly in milwaukee anyway <laughs> and um and I knew that it wouldn't last long enough. Or at least I couldn't last long enough under the, that. I mean, we're 15 years old now. Yeah. We turned 15 this year. And there's no way I could have done that for that long. For, for those of you who are listening that don't understand that benchmark of accomplishment, I mean, Nate, you want to oh, try and I break mean, that down for sell, people? You know, between 2007 and 2015, I, I was, I, my job was selling wine and spirits to restaurants and like how many have come and gone oh my god in the scene that, i mean it's like it's, is, it's i mean un, i don't think anyone has it's, gone the distance like that it, I, it's it's uncalled i mean it's 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 there's there's probably a dozen restaurants in town that are doing cuisine at your level that maybe have that you know it, I'd say it's South, yeah i agree with that Wisconsin, it's about but you touched on it though yeah and and, and what why why? What's the secret to our success? I, it's a variety of a whole lot of things. And, and one of them, undeniably, is back to community. So a farmer came in last Thursday to drop off potatoes because I didn't know she still had some potatoes, but our butcher was down and ran into her randomly somewhere. And she's like, oh, I still got some of these potatoes. So he's like, yes, bring the potatoes. We'll want them. I know Peter will want them. Just bring all three varieties. And um, Sandy, Sandy from Pinehole that we talked about earlier. And... Um, she comes in the kitchen to drop off potatoes, and she sees one of the guys that's worked with me forever, Noe. She sees another guy who's only been with me for three years, Sal. Um, she sees one of the servers, Martine, who's been with us, I don't know, for about five or six years. She knows all of them. She says hi to all of them, and she's, like, looking for me. She's, like, wandering around the restaurant looking for me. Where's Peter at? Hey, Martine, where's Peter at? Hey, Noe, you know, how's your – I hear you have a newborn. How old is he? I mean, she's – She's a rare breed, but Janet from Turtle Creek Gardens knows all of our employees and some of our cheesemakers that we deal with. The two, one of the two here knows a lot of our employees. And part of the secret to our success is that we have no way knows who's from Taco Pico, Mexico. It's about two and a half hours northwest of Mexico City, really in the middle of nowhere. He knows pine old he's been on that farm with me a couple of times mm -hmm. and he knows what he's that's going on over there so back to you talking about like we're introducing people you know who are urban people now about farming and and how to eat better and how to eat in my opinion properly and we're just the conduit we're just connecting people that's all we're doing i i try to do it in an un um pretentious way i think we serve some pretentious food but it's approachable we try to charge what we can afford to charge that's best for everybody 
You know, I pay the bills. My wife and I get what we only need to take out of it. Um, we support the community this way. And I think it's cheap enough that a wide variety of people come in. And then back to what you're saying, to round it, bring it all back together. I don't know of another restaurant in the middle of the week that you can go to. You could have come into our restaurant tonight and seen a more diverse crowd of people. There's not one in any of the cities I've ever lived in and definitely not in Milwaukee where you can see all the cultures represented in one restaurant. And that might be the thing I'm most proud of. And that's a great thing. I mean, to have, again, that, that means that you speak a universal language, that you just sort of cross all the supposed boundaries, which I don't really believe in myself, and that there's universal appeal there. Mm -hmm. I think that that is, absolutely, I think that that's a, a tremendous feather in the cap of, of any of any restaurant where do you see where do you see the food culture i guess of milwaukee as a city going in the future do you see it i mean obviously the city is growing and you know population is going up and you know i always cringe at the thought of us becoming a little chicago because even though i grew up there there's there's a radically different culture there and and it's i much prefer this I think that there are certain benefits, if you want, of having a city of that size. Certainly, anytime you have that many people, there's going to be just a, such a swath of different ideas, you know, expressions, art, food, anything have you. But it's just, it becomes a little bit unmanageable. Milwaukee, and like La Mirenda, is very, as you said, approachable. It's comfortable. It's manageable. It's not overwhelming you can actually sort of sink yourself into the experience and i feel like fully enjoy it do you see the food scene here continuing in the example that you have sort of set do you see people like trying to strike out and become more high speed low drag something like a la chicago or new york where do you see it going i think if um I were to be able to predict how things were going. What I suspect will happen is that everything right now, the, all the best, not all the best, that's not true, but let's take the last top 30 that might have come out a few years ago. 20 out of 30 have to be in the city of Milwaukee? That would be a guess. I'm not 100% mm -hmm. certain. I mean, you probably know the list as well yeah, as I do. Yeah. And you serve a lot of them, yeah. sold to them. Yeah, or I mean, wow. let's say maybe a couple might be in the Tosa or Shorewood, yeah. you know, just, but let's call that all Milwaukee, really, quite sure. frankly. I think the next trend might be some of the better styles that we see in downtown making its way out a little bit. And we starting to see a little bit of that going north. Mm -hmm. Don't yeah. see a ton of that going west yet. See a little bit going south. Um, I mean, you know, there's no choice, right? After Bayview, where do you have to go next, right? You know? Right. Uh, after West Milwaukee, got to go after Tosa. Where do you go next? North of Shorewood. I mean, so I hope that the next trend will be as populations grow, that people, you know, which is bad for me, although I think the populations will continue to grow in the city, so I don't think I'm going to lose from that. But I hope that the, our customers that we have now will have really cool options out in Oconomowoc, out in West Bend, out in, and, and they're starting to happen, which is great. So I think that's the next thing. But that's where the farmers are at. Right. And I hope people continue to buy from the farms. Well, I think that, you know, the farmer's markets, I think, yeah. around the city have 
really sort of blossomed in the past couple of years. I mean, I know that the Tosa Farmers Market is a mm-hmm. huge event. It's insane. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and it just has grown great. and grown it's every year really in the West Dallas. Yeah. Farmers Market, I mean, is, is also just tremendous. And you have more and more people sort of getting into that. People that younger, you know, people too that are perhaps not satisfied with the conventional nine to five who decide, hey, I'm going to buy five or seven acres and we're going to, you know, see what we can do with this. And I, I applaud that. I don't think that it's an easy road. I mean, my family, we have, we have a farm, we, you know, we do farming too, you know, certain elements of my family do that. And I spend a great deal of time there myself. I mean, that's some hard, honest, very <laughs> unpredictable work. But if you yeah. can do it, what a rewarding thing to do. Right. So I don't know. It's what, what is, what are your thoughts on it? Oh, I mean, one thing I was going to just kind of about the restaurants too. I went to this place called Blue Bear in the Blue Bear in Racine on Sunday that was a farm to table place. Mm-hmm. And it was out of this world. Really? It was great. And it was on Durand Avenue in Racine and the place was packed. Yeah. And I was just, and it was, it was like, a sh- I mean, it was, it was, it was so, it was so refreshing, you know? And like, I mean, I found it just, on Yelp or some something. The like owner of Blue Bear was in the restaurant not too long ago. Oh, really? They seem like really good people. Yeah. My yeah. wife had a long conversation oh, with them. Oh, yeah. They seem, I mean, so they're doing what we're doing. They are doing what you're doing, yeah. Which is great. Little, I'm down with maybe it. Maybe a little bit more, like, uh, slightly more of an upcharge. I mean, you have, yeah, Right, but yeah. I mean, but I've owned my building for 15 years, yeah, whereas sure. they've only been there for about a year, maybe a little less, three, right? I, three, I think. Okay, so, yeah. okay, so I get, all right. Yeah. But, Shit, dude, I grew up in Racine and like, man, that was like awesome to, to, to see that. that. That is great and to it's hear. Not it, even like in a sexy ex- part of Racine. Would you expect <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's exactly yeah, sexy yeah, parts yeah. of Racine. Would you yeah, expect to hear? <laughs> you expect to hear something like Blue Bear opening up in Lake Geneva? Yeah, Door County. Mm-hmm. Um, Madison's already got its versions, but what are some other yeah. maybe cities in the Wisconsin area that are mm-hmm. drawing people? From outside mm-hmm. the city that are right. already kind of getting it, yeah. sure. Racine's not the spot, and that's really great to hear. And I had actually forgotten about Blue Bear mm-hmm. because Sonia, my wife, had a very long conversation. Yeah, with Yeah, them. and it's a place that's like not. It doesn't have this like the neighborhood they're in is like not a gentrified vibe or something. I mean, no. it's weird, you know. The the and, and sorry, but I don't want to. I think that's a really interesting point that you make. Yeah, I, I, what I would say is this: if you look at historically. What were the, you know, if like, for example, I both know that Nate and I are both into music, like the punk uh-huh. scene, like back uh-huh. in like the so 80s. Sweet. Yeah. Where did that blossom? It blossomed where no one else wanted to be. Right. Where does all the great art yeah. come from? It comes from where no one else wants to live. And you have people that can go there because it's yeah. on the cheap and you can live cheaply and you can concentrate on your art. Yeah. And it's those places that produce like amazing painters, poets, but also chefs. You get into some place. Anybody who knows anything about the restaurant business knows that it is brutal. It mm-hmm. is an absolute grind. And certainly there have been there's it's been made a little bit more rock starish and sexy over the past couple of years. Fine, great. But it doesn't make it any less work. And so you have people that come into places that perhaps are not as flashy or whatever, and they're like, I'm not into that. I don't need the Park Avenue. I just want to do my thing. I want to create my art here. And People know. People want quality. Instinctively, you want what's good, right? Whether it's a cookie or a glass of wine or whatever it might be. And if you go to some place and you have awesome food, you're going to know it's awesome food. One of the greatest restaurants that I never dined at. I was in Driggs, Idaho. 
and this was back in 2013. We were out there fly fishing on the snake. And the only reason you're in drigs is for two reasons. One, <laughs> one to fly fish or two to ski. That's it. Those are the only, it's either trout bums or ski bums, and those are the only people that are out there. So we're coming back from this fly fishing trip this one day, and we're driving past this sort of very ramshackle-looking building. And the guide who we were with, super cool dude, he's like, you see that place right there? I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's the best restaurant I've ever eaten at in my life. We're like, what? He's like, three buddies own it. He's like, they're all complete stoners. He's like, they, all they want to do is ski and fly fish, but they're amazing chefs. And they, they don't have any set hours. They don't have any set menu. They just, word of mouth or social media, we're going to be open these days, these hours, cash only, and you eat what they cook. And the place is packed. I mean, out the door. And they make enough money to support themselves for yeah. however long. And yeah. then they close again and they're gone. Yeah, for sure. Undeni- but... For sure. And they were making money hand over fist. Like that's undeniable talent. Does that like live outside of what we think of as normal commerce though? You know, like I'm wondering if that can. What's normal? Well, well, that's fair. But I wonder if that exists like, like, you know, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, Milton Friedman on this or something all of a sudden. But, you know, that can kind of exist in this like. Like, it's interesting because the supply and demand is different than an urban setting, you know? Because I always wonder, like, like you know, when the whole farm-to-table movement really got going and, like, there was, like, a slow food convivium group here and, like, so many people were involved with farmer's markets and so many restaurants, you know, post you kind of – after you opening up, deciding to just – this was your philosophy, so many people – started restaurants with that as their marketing thing. But also we saw somebody like, like all together, he just was 15 years ago, growing power, which was Will Allen was like, I mean, he was one of times most hundred most influential people in the world. MacArthur according to Time Genius Magazine, Grant. you got a MacArthur genius, got MacArthur genius grant. And he was unable to take that business and scale it up in a way that worked for lower income people, which is, or, or even like just to scale it up even so middle income people embraced it in a way that he could scale it up, sustain it, you know? And like, that's what freaks me out. I mean, it's like, I think sometimes pushing it all in that area as opposed to just organically creating the, you know, doing, doing it the right way and having the word of mouth happen is is what is just such a goddamn stumbling block half the time you know well, i think that that's a that really a, interesting point actually and, dude i really want to try some of those olives by all means <laughs> hey man that's some over dude you got this unbelievable Sorry. spread yeah. in front and of is us. there anything that's like let, let, let's just briefly touch on this because this is you gotta i mean it's have at this is kind well, of i, I want is, you while well, you massive guys okay, yeah so hang on yeah. real quick so let me just let's, sorry all right no we have we're pausing that was a pretty good segue right my friend um yeah, Juan owns a Tia Paquita. I don't know if you've ever had the sausages. We have, uh, we sell them at the restaurant. For those Both of you who are listening, dry. what in front it's, of us oh, right dude, now is an absolute, of, unbelievable epic. spread of, of deliciousness. We have <laughs> oh like so God. many meats and cheeses. And Peter brought in. Tell us about these olives. I got to know about these. Okay, so these olives are my my uncle's recipe. These are a Sicilian um, roasted olive recipe where you take a 
the black olives with pits because they're better with pits without the pits. Pitted, it doesn't work as well. Um, gar- tons of garlic. Who was it? Jeff Smith, the frugal gourmet that said, yeah. what would the world be without garlic? I remember um, watching that as a kid. Tons of garlic. Thinly sliced, like we use a slicer to do it. Thinly oh, wow. sliced. Um, oh, I got some. I'll, you know, I'm just going to do hands. thinly Thinly sliced <laughs> lemon and oranges. Really? Yeah. Um, oregano, fennel, and um, oregano, fennel, and red chili flakes. Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I know that's one of your favorite yeah. cheeses, and the other one's yeah. Grand Canario. Um, oh, that is sublime. So I, I brought so I brought Juan's dried tree. So he dries it exclusively for me. Really, the person he does it for, and I love it. It's his fresh sausage that he he dries for a couple of months. And then the two oh, cheeses wow. I brought, Pleasant Ridge Reserve from Upland Dairy. That is the single most award-winning cheese in the United States. It's won more awards than any other cheese. The second most award-winning cheese is then next to it called Grand Canaria, and that comes from Carvalli. Carvalli's distinction is that it's the most award-winning cheesemaker, period, of all the different cheeses he's Really? He's won more awards as a cheesemaker than all the other states in the United States combined. Really? So you take all the cheesemakers from the rest of the United States and combine them, he's won more awards than they have. How many people do you think know that? Like people that are truly like, I, I bet not many. I bet there's so many people that even in the city of Milwaukee have no idea like that this kind of quality. Well, if you exists. come in the restaurant and I have a chance to talk to you, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I like, I mean, I do talk about that a lot, about both of those people. I've, I've well, done. People like that deserve to be celebrated. Agreed. A hundred percent. And yeah. I think that that's, that's where the spotlight needs to be cast. But, you know, Andy, who's at, um, oh my God. The 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 cheese is pleasant, pleasant reserve, reserve. reserve, but is he, the the actual creamery is called Uplands Upland Dairy. He purchased the business, mm-hmm. but he's a kid who just grew up in the city. Like, seriously, Whitefish Bay. yeah, he's really? from Whitefish Bay. He's from Whitefish Bay. His parents come in a lot. He makes. I've yeah. done a couple of dinners yeah. with him. Yeah, I've done some dinners with with Car Valley. Sid doesn't come down anymore because he's ten years older than me. Right. Um, him and I hit it off really well because he also went to college and got a degree in political science and is not doing anything remotely close to Pali's eye. Okay. Um, oh, wow. I like uh, I like LeClaire. I've done dinners with, with her. I love Marie Gay Pentiman up at Highland Family Farm. They're all just unique, different people, and they have a different approach on life, but they all make great cheeses. Yeah. And their one single philosophy is it's about the milk. So Andy – Hatch is the cheesemaker, and then Scotty, I can't think of Scott's last name, Big Scott, is runs the herd. He runs the dairy over at Pleasant Ridge Reserve at Upland Dairy. Mm-hmm. And it's a very unique philosophy the way they do it. They only milk the cows in the summertime. They've bred, crossbred specific cows. Yeah, they, and have, it's a they, closed, have, a mixed, they have a mixed herd. Which they is, have a mixed herd, which and is it's a not, closed system. So they don't mm-hmm. bring outside cows right. in. They, com- yeah. they purposely do their own breeding and have generations of cows that keep going well, down. You, you're talking about people who have embraced to the to the utmost what it is that they do. People that are, you know, it's like last night when, you know, Nate uh, held a wine tasting that, that we attended. And, you know, Paul, right? Yeah, uh, Gus. Gus, Gus, me, yeah, Gus, Gus from, yeah. from Gamba Wines. Yeah. And it's just every facet of the man's winery he knows. He knows yeah. all of it, inside and out, he, like down to what kind of yeast do we have on the skin of the grape in our vineyards. Like that is, that's what you want. That's what you want. Like uh. there's that kind of passion. And no matter what it is that you do, that is art, right? I mean, and people 
I, I've said this before, but I, I had the opportunity to listen to uh, a lecture one time, and, and the gentleman said, someone tell me what art is. And some people, you know, painting or, or sculpture or whatever. And he goes, can butchering a pig be art? And just kind of quiet. And he goes, how long do you think it takes to, to butcher a pig? And the audience ventured some guesses. And I think the total thing was like, if you're really good at it, it's like seven minutes. Fine. He goes, he clicks up, and there's a video screen behind him, and there's a, a gentleman there. And he's, you know, clearly a butcher and there's a whole pig <laughs> in front of him and he's got all of his, you know, butchering tools out in front of him and he, he starts the video and it was amazing. The guy was like, it was like watching a ballet with knives and it was flawless, no movement wasted. And he had this pig turned into pork chops in like two minutes. It was unbelievable. And he stops the video and he goes, that's art. He goes, art is the pursuit of excellence in any medium, whether it's cooking or wine, or making cheese, or anything. And you can't have art on the cheap. You can't. And that's, we come to mm. a, a, an impasse in our culture because we, we, we want, quote-unquote, the best. Right? Yeah. But we also want it the cheapest. <laughs> These two <laughs> things, things don't. don't jive. They don't. And you have to allow, like, greatness takes time. You can't force you can't force a good wine to mature, right? It has to take time. Mm -hmm. You can't if you try and cook something too quickly, you'll ruin it, right? But to that exact point, and back to what you asked me, why Milwaukee? And one of the biggest reasons why Milwaukee was because people in Milwaukee really truly respect value mm. more than anywhere else mm -hmm. I've ever lived. This is very true. Yeah, it is true. This is and very I'll tell true. you why. What I mean mm -hmm. by that. Yeah. Someone's oh, more you. than willing to spend $325 on a pair of shoes at Allen Edmonds and then will go down the street and complain about a $5 hot dog they got that was overcooked. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Am I wrong? No, you're no, right. It's name? completely true. But I love that. It's totally, totally They're right. right in both ways. Yeah. That $325, my yeah. wife, she couldn't believe when I bought my first pair of Allen Edmonds shoes. She's like, I go, these are lifetime guaranteed. And these shoes, I bought them for our wedding. And she's like, I can't believe that. And I still have them. And randomly the other day, she's like, you are right about those shoes. She said, like, I guess it wasn't the other day. It was about six months ago. But that's what Milwaukeeans do very well. Well, people they have understand value. I, I, I'm going to cheerlead your wife, too. Peter's wife is just beautiful. <laughs> she's a genius. She's a spitfire. She's, she's an engineer. Mm -hmm. she, she's from Columbia, too. Um, and, she puts and, up with me more than anything else. Nate, you can you. say oh, it. She, she pushes back, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, well you got lucky, things, too. You both the, got lucky. Yeah, we what did. are we kidding here? Yeah, we did. A everybody, friend of mine, everybody here has very great A friend wives. of mine that does yeah. the sports for yeah, the NBC I, affiliate in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, he's the one that got me, like, my first date with my wife at a really cool restaurant who Jason Gorman was the sous chef at in Atlanta. In Atlanta? Oh, that's so weird. Um, and my wife lived in Atlanta at that time, too, which is just such a weird small world. So, too. he said yeah. to me when he met my wife, and I've never heard this line before, and it's been repeated, so I'm sure you guys heard it, but you guys are both can say this. You guys outkicked your coverage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I outkicked yeah. my coverage. Oh, 100%. <laughs> my wife made a couch last week. What? She 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 wanted to buy a four thousand dollar couch, and I said we we can't. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could we could, but it's a bad idea. Yeah, sure. Um, and she's like, you know, I I think I can make something pretty close to it, and she did. 
She made a couch. She made a couch. That's outstanding. Wow. In in two days. Yeah. And okay. it's it. I'll show you guys when we're. When I was going to say. I feel yeah. Like I mean, this is a, no more. This about is that. its own. This is its own. Se- That's this is amazing. its own segue. And she's never done anything like that before. She just put determined to do it. One yeah. of the things that you mentioned before that I want to touch on. Is yeah. You talked about not being able to scale something up. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that has occurred to me recently, and this I think this ties also into what you said as far as during COVID and people just being so angry. I think. It occurred to me the other day that the scope of what it is that I am aware of is ridiculous in the sense of no, at no other point in time has, have people been able to access so much information or had Mm. so much information Mm -hmm. thrust upon Mm -hmm. them so readily Mm -hmm. and also so continuously. Mm -hmm. And if you turn on the radio, if you turn on the TV, the sky is always falling. But if you walk out of your house, the sky isn't falling. And they'll tell you that your neighbors have bad intent and that we all need to be you know, at each other's throats until you actually go and you talk with your neighbors and they're wonderful people. Mm. And I think that we, we stepped away f- from the immediate in a way that has been detrimental to all of us. Mm-hmm. It should be about the community. Like we, and I say we as humanity, did not evolve to interact with a million people <laughs> on a regular basis. You didn't. You you were interacting. Yeah. We're supposed to interact with a town, right, or a village, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. If you go to these places, for example, we've both been to France. We love mm-hmm. it. I'm sure Peter's been there too, right? What do you love about France? You love the countryside. You love like yeah. the wine regions, the Appalachians, where it's a village of 300, 400, right, 500, and there is the baker, and the baker. Is from is from a, a lineage of mm-hmm. bakers, right? And the butcher is from a lineage of butchers, and the wine grower is from right. And everyone kind of has their thing, but they come together in this harmonious, symbiotic way that I think we here got away from because everything is tr- we try to magnify it to like the nth degree. Everything's got to be franchised, or I have to appeal to <laughs> to you know. A million people instead of just being like, okay, I'm going to do as Peter does. I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to do it in this way that I'm, I'm going to do it so that I feel in my heart I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And then the people who believe in that will naturally hear of it and gravitate to it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's mean, one of those things too where it's like how much is does tech – and this – I'm not trying to be a Luddite or something. But how much does technology like push you away from – actually experiencing humanity tremendously i think i think you know? it's i think it's i think it's all a spoke and mirrors show uh-huh real life is real it can be touched mm-hmm. it can be tasted it can be experienced yeah the tv i've said it before the tv your phone is a horrifically second place oh substitute yeah. for the I, real yeah, thing yeah I, I, yeah yeah I, I mean so so much of it is like i mean you know I've had my own bouts with actual depression and so much of it is just curable just just... from being like, Oh man, every sediments just, that's just part, that's part of the game, man. It's a little crunchy. That one's a little crunchy. It's a little crunchy. Um, You're going to have to, as soon as you're done with this point, I want you to tell us about this wine. Peter brought this wine. Peter's been to this. Has he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Peter should tell us about this. Back actually funny. I bet it was, and I I'll remember. Oh boy. 
that you probably had these. Wow. You introduced you, me. Yeah, to I introduced you to him for sure. But then you went to Catalonia. Mm -hmm. The winery is called Ferrer Bobat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, finish your thought, and I will expound oh, on what. Oh, I know what I was going about. on. Oh, I was just thinking, like, okay, so like we have first we have like a radio, right? right. And it's like all of a sudden everybody's like. I can just hear music all the time. The guys in the street, I mean, they don't do it as good as whatever I'm hearing on the radio, you know? And then it's like there's less and less amateur musicians. Right. Right? And then you have TV and people don't go to live plays or less people do that as entertainment, as live, the live version of it. And then you have the internet and you don't even have real fucking friends anymore. <laughs> Right. <laughs> your friends are on the, you you you, you in each thing you're deciding who your community is right you without having to actually engage with people in real life i mean i think there's pros and con, pros and cons to that too because you know i'm sure in a vill a village becomes very provincial and there's there's you know you know, you know, the culture becomes kind of oppressive in and of itself. And we, but I think that that's why people idealize used to love it. to travel for sure. Like that's the thing is you should yeah. get outside of your village, but you should actually go for sure yourself. Like you should go to this new place. We have the capability of being in both worlds, the best of both worlds. That's exactly what I was yeah. going to say. So yeah. I'll tell you what, having a wife from Colombia, I can tell you that, um, it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that it, I, I feel like it is ruining the people who should experience it, who can experience life better, and it's helping the people who can't experience life. Very much agree with that. Mm. In fact, I just yeah. had a conversation with a friend of mine, uh, and she, you know, she's mother of three, and she just does not have the opportunity to travel. But one of the things that we were talking about was, she loves I, – I had gotten her into the uh, documentary series Chef's Table, mm -hmm. and she is just consumed by it. And she says, it allows me to experience people and places yeah, yeah, yeah. that I would otherwise not for be sure. able to. And good for that. It for does sure. expose you. If, if used properly, it should be like the preview to the movie, right? Here is this uh -huh. person. Here is an introduction to whoever it might be, right? right. For example – one of the people that I was introduced to through that series was Alex Atala. And that Alex Atala is the chef at Dom in uh, uh -huh. Sao Paulo, Brazil. But he is just his approach to so many things in life is very, very akin to my own. Like I myself am a big believer in doing as much of the process, in this case, food, as myself. Mm -hmm. Like this is deer sausage from one of my deers. Mm -hmm. Like if you go in the other room, there's a standalone freezer. It is filled with all the animals I've either butchered myself or hunted or whatever. We have in the other room, I have, you know, a couple hundred plants that are growing right now for the garden and we'll do all of that. We can our own stuff. We pickle our own stuff. Like I'm trying to learn about like doing different fermentations, right? Because it just, I am just absolutely captivated by the process. And I think that if you take the internet or TV or whatever, which can also be an art medium, if done properly, mm, it's yeah. like another thing. Like there's a lot of like slapdash crap out there that's just mm. mindless. But there's also some really brilliant work that has been done. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you, if you try to 
filter out the nonsense and focus again on the quality, be it food or in this case, you know, media, I agree with you completely, Peter. There is there is some absolutely phenomenal stuff out there. I think it's I think for the first world, it's dumbing them down. For the developing world, it's improving their lives. Oh, that's mm. I think that that's probably a very astute observation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Having been able to witness that firsthand. Yeah. People who live in the middle of nowhere, Colombia, have access to things that they never had access mm. to before. People that live in the middle of Bogota and what is arguably a very first world country and is our city, a lot like Milwaukee, it's, it's dumbing them down. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I think that, you know, as I've said before, I think that people always, unfortunately, once you reach a certain level of convenience and comfort. Oh, yeah, um, thank you. You look for the the easiest route, uh-huh. and and that's that's a problem. Is uh-huh. you, know, you talk about you talk about your grandparents and you know being from Europe, so are mine, and that work ethic, and you know the people that of that generation who came here, who came from a place where no matter how hard you worked, you wouldn't get ahead. Right. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. you came to a place where you could get ahead. Yeah. And they put their shoulders into it. Mm-hmm. They were like, I will work night and day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Like, there was I enjoy a quality of life now, you know, personally, that would have been unfathomable. Oh God. Yeah. To them, right? Yeah. And people but people take it for granted. And I think completely for a, granted. But that is a huge mistake. And that will that will there will be consequences oh. for that. And we're we're experiencing them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As sure. you have said before, the bill comes due. It does. Yeah. It absolutely does. In one form or another, like you're you're going to get what goes around comes around. A hundred percent. And the whole, you know, it's interesting. You're, you know, do you farm yourself? We have two raised beds. Okay. I mean, my father-in-law in Colombia has got four farms. Okay. So you, you, you are, you are very intimately then associated with it through both your yep. work and your family. So it, you have an appreciation for like sustainable practice. Mm-hmm. So, you, you understand then that it can be done as I do. But for example, like when, when out where my family has their farm in Western Illinois, as a, as a child, you're like, oh, farmers, like they, they have the best intentions of the earth or they're like, they're ecologically sound. And then you actually get out there and that is <laughs> these, and, and not to say the small farmers, I'm not talking about them, but I'm talking about these, these mass farms, these mm. mega farms. It's a monoculture. It is unbelievable. Yeah. It's the unhealthiest thing you've mm-hmm. ever seen. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the machines are like out of the movies. There, there's yeah. no one in them. Correct. Yeah. The combines are being yeah. run by com- satellites and computers. Well, yeah. and then you look at like things like the soil quality, like another thing that we were talking about last night, you know, people that enjoy good wine. If you enjoy good wine, you understand that you absolutely have to have good terroir. It, you yeah, are yeah. tasting yeah. the yeah. earth. You are tasting the earth. It is the quality of the earth. I've you know, I may have said this on this podcast before, I may not have, but as a boy, my father, and he took me, we had a very large garden and there was a path sort of behind the garden, which was sort of people had walked uh-huh. mm-hmm. like on it for, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. It was all worn down and packed down or whatever. And he took uh, a piece of the path and then he took a handful of the soil from the garden and he said, come here. And I must've been five or six. And he said, smell this. I smelled the dirt from the path and it just smelled like, like nothing. It smelled like dirt. But then I smelled the soil and it just, mm-hmm. it was so like evocative. Like it, right. there were so many things going on there. It was so involved. And he goes, these are not the same. This is dirt and this is soil. Right. And you need yeah. to understand the difference between the two. Right. Yeah. And I think that we need to start emphasizing that 
you know, if you if you want good food, if you want good wine, if these kinds of things, you have to take care of the earth. You have to take care of it. You cannot again try and do it. It's on not the as hard as people think it is. It's not. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I'll tell it you is. what. We've proven that but it's not as profitable as doing mm-hmm. it the other way. But it's it is though. I you know that, that's yeah that, okay let me no, explain. No, I mean we cool. could we cool. could be making more money Hit me with that <laughs> <laughs> we could be making yeah. more money <laughs> yeah. and um oh sorry but I mean would we have as many customers would we have as many diverse people in our restaurant that's more important to me than making more money because you know what like but I God said God bless in, you but again I like I said like yours is not a commonly held approach but that's not what I'm looking for right well, so but that's but that, you but that's different and I get that that is different. I'm not in for the bottom line. I'm in for the experience. I'm in for trying to get as right many people there. as I can get That's in here. That's it. You're in for the experience. That is the key. Absolutely And right. even back to like, you know, to Dom or Francis Mama, what's his famous restaurant in Mendoza called? Oh, dude, I went there. And it's, I know you did. That's why I'm asking you. It's 1880. 1888 or 1888. Yeah, yeah. Eight, oh, because there was the 1880 town here. 1880. It's 1888. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I can appreciate all that they're doing. Mm-hmm. But that's what works for them. It's right. not what would work for me, and that's not what would work in Milwaukee. Right? It's just not. I mean, I know that there are some really great restaurants here that are doing things on a similar level. Both of those restaurants. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I joked about. Uh, I met my wife. I took my wife to a date at a restaurant that my friend Jason Gorman worked at. A guy that ended up working for me in Milwaukee mm-hmm. at a restaurant in Atlanta, um, who a James Beard nominated chef who's out in Boston now working for a couple of really cool people out there. And he was asking me, did you ever sign up for the beard foundation? I go, no, it's not a big deal to me. I, 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 in order to get a beard award, you have to actually become a member of the foundation. You have to sign up for it and do all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not into that. I will never will be. And I never want to be. And, and, um, when he left mm. working for me, he wanted to do an exit interview. He's like, I want to sit down and talk to you about oh, some things I need you wow. to hear. Okay. And one, of the, and one of the, the couple <laughs> of things he said to me that have rung true with me, he's like, there are a couple of James Beard award-winning restaurant chefs in this city mm-hmm. who wish they had as many asses in the seats that you get every night. Yeah. So oh, don't wow. ever worry about not ever winning a James yeah. Beard award. Because they would rather be as busy as you than have their awards. Yeah. And then secondly, this is just a random side of note. This is just a funny thing that I'm also very proud of. He goes, I've never met anyone who has been nicer to nice people and big the biggest asshole to assholes. <laughs> I mean, good I for mean, you, brother. I mean, that's it right there. That's, that's uh, life. Well, yeah. I mean, exactly. Like, if you, like, you got to play nice in the sandbox. Right. right. If you're a good yeah. person, I will give you everything. If you're a jerk, watch out. You got to go. You got to go. go. Yeah. Well, but I mean, but that's the way that it should be. I think that too many people that, you know, too many people who are good people don't get the recognition that they deserve. And I think that too many people that, you know, are not good people get a free pass. I just don't think that that's the way that it should be. There should be some sort of an accountability. And, and there isn't. And in everything. In everything. Very much in everything. And, um, no, man, I, I, you know, you and I share a lot of, of very, very similar philosophies on, on a great deal of things. So I, like I said, my, my hat's off. What about you, man? With, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit about is, um, the, the, 
the people that you rub elbows with in the wine industry and how uh-huh. that how that translates to like things like what Peter does and it seems like a lot of people are trying to do a lot of the similar things of doing it the right way. Oh, sure. Of, yeah, of yeah, yeah. going to smaller production, um, but really focusing on the craft of what it is that they do. Whew, wow. I mean, yeah, it's funny. We were, and, and you know, before we sat down, we were talking with, you know, your wife and you had visited Slovenia and Croatia and I was just, I, 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 you know, recently purchased wines to sell to the broader public from both places. And, um, like it, th- those are places that really, in, like really, really intrigue me right now. And the wines really intrigue me from there because there's that scale, there's that attention to detail mm-hmm. and the wines are still affordable right? because frankly because they're not from western europe because they have to be because they have because they have to be you know and um but the infrastructure and the land has always been there and it's it's a weird it's a weird twist of fate that the literal balkanization of the balkans now and and you know the the just the every horrible thing that the 20th century brought to that area. Now in the 21st century, they get to kind of do this do over with artisan products and they didn't, they never had to create them on an industrial scale. Right. You know what I mean? Or there was, they were made on an industrial scale, but like the small farmer well, there was never, there was never the industry there to create them to scale. Yeah. Like they got, they got left behind. So or, or, yeah. or Tito just, raped and pillaged everything yeah exactly exactly he just he just so exactly they may have done some of this but in an underground black market for me you know yeah well that's interesting so we serves i'm sorry um there's good (laughs) (laughs) so we were we were in croatia and we went um to the to the bibich winery you know it's probably the most famous in the area there Mm -hmm. had a lovely experience fine and then as we were sort of coming you know out and through the hills just through this little farm village and there was just a just one of those sort of chalkboards on the sidewalk with you know and just said slottage winery and there was an arrow and okay there was a like a gate we walked through and you literally walked into like someone's backyard it seemed very nicely done arbors and so forth and hello hello and there was no one there we were about to leave and young man about my age comes running through the backyard and he speaks passable english and it turns out that it's the harvest Oh, they're all out in the field. Oh, we yeah. apologize. You know, good luck with that. And he's like, no, no, no. I'll be right back. Runs into the cellar, comes out, four bottles of wine, and spends the next two hours with us, just sitting there. And it was his, it was his family's thing, and the wine was fantastic. And he explained to us that, like, under communism, we were never allowed to sell or export or anything right. like this. But now mm-hmm. he was ecstatic. They had just gotten their first. Uh, export to mm. New York and what a cool thing right. what a great mm-hmm. thing and mm-hmm. it's that it's the, it's someone there doing the same thing that we're talking about yeah. being done here for example Oak Creek right the farm there mm-hmm. and it's that's what we should focus on it always breaks my heart when I hear about another family farm going under because it's so hard to make the ends meet yeah and you hear of all these subsidies that go to all these other interests right. around the country and you think to yourself 
we are spending money on a lot of the wrong things instead of taking it and investing it in things like these small family farms. Right. Mm -hmm. Why do we not subsidize those? That's, you know, and I think if people actually had the opportunity to say where it was that their money went as far as like their taxes or something, a lot mm -hmm. of them would say, I want it to go here. Yeah. But the one thing that I tell people is your most powerful vote outside of the actual ballot box is your dollars. Right. Yeah. Your pocketbook. If, exactly. If you believe in something, yeah. then make the extra effort and go there. Spend an extra dollar on it. Yeah. You like good cheese and that good cheese costs a dollar, pay that extra dollar. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Support those things. Go. Find a chef like Peter. Uh -huh. Support that restaurant because that restaurant in turn supports those farmers. Support yeah. that wine grower. Go there. It's very real. And I think more... Uh, I think there's just an incredible amount of common ground with that philosophy. And I don't know where the message gets lost to the average asshole out there. <laughs> or it's like, it's like, I, I mean, so here's the uh, issue though, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not as smart as the two of you, but I'm no. as well educated as the two of you. I just, yeah, I mean, no, I had to work harder. Guy. I had to work harder <laughs> at getting to where I'm Humble at guy, man. versus you guys. But Therein lies the rub, I think. I think there's two parts of that. One, we have sought it out. So that's where I mean about being smart and well-educated. We have been exposed to enough uh -huh. that it has provoked us to go and find more. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But we have also, because of where we have gotten ourselves in our lives, regardless of how we got here, we've also been exposed to that through those means as well. We have been, you know, I mean, we we sought it out and it's been exposed to us because of how we've been able to live. True. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I yeah. think one of the things that I have lamented as of late is I am a huge fan of, of culture and of sort of things of that are perhaps refined. I don't know if that's the word that I want to use, but as you said, things like theater or mm -hmm. literature or like music the opera these kinds of things mm -hmm. but also of of there's a certain elegance to anything done very well right there's a certain elegance to to good food and good wine they're like one of the things that i really enjoy sort of circling back to francis malman is the man has an appreciation for the elegance of what he does it is all done with a certain flair. Mm -hmm. And it's that joie de vie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is we have this moment right now. We have this food. Yeah. We have this wine. And we're going to bite down into the bone of life and just gnaw the marrow out of it. To really get that experience, as you said before, you're about the experience. I wonder if because the focus now seems to be on what is salacious or scandalous or flashy and very easily disposable like great culture is not easily disposable mm. it stands the test of time like Hemingway will always be amazing because it's Hemingway right mm -hmm. great wine will always like DRC will always be <laughs> great wine right yeah. overpriced to be sure, sure but it will always be great wine. Yeah, it's part of the canon correct yeah. but like we have shifted our focus away from that as like as a society 
we like there's things like TikTok and all the rest of this yeah. just drivel that no one will care about soon enough. And I think that if you sort of try not, not fast enough, not nearly fast enough, yeah. but if you slowly try to shift the focus back to what is timeless, there's truth in that. And I think that it's what I try to do. I know it's you try to do. And slowly but surely, things like the tastings that you hold or the way that you try to like <laughs> educate your patrons, right? Yeah. Bit by bit and piece by piece, I think that's how you slowly and incrementally steer the ship back on course. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. And it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, like, I don't know. And it's kind of the way education is changed. Too, which is really its own, um, its own thing because we used to think of, and I'll be. It's interesting, you know. My kids are roughly the same age as Peter's kids. It's like, what is a university going to be like twenty years from now? You, you, I, I mean this in the sense that, like, like. I'm able to create an audio visual experience for people where they can come in and try a tangible product right. from all over the world. And then they get an audio visual experience in a room. So they have the real life thing, right? but then they also have, you know, sound and, and images that, that I can just easily grab that even 15 years ago would have been impossible. Right. You know, and I can easily grab and recreate what it's like to be in that place while they taste the thing from that place. And then I can give people a curated experience from that, you know, and, and like, this is something like it's, it's new to all of us, but it is culture. Right. Like there's no denying that it's culture, but like, this is something like you'd pay, like, even if you went to a, a Ivy league school 30 years ago, you wouldn't be able, somebody wouldn't be able to pull it together. No, I totally agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I don't know. What do you think about all that, Peter? I mean, you have children and obviously you're a man who's sort of pursued his education both in and outside of, you know, a formal setting. What do you think about, you know, what Nate says is where does, where does the education of, of the next generation, where, where will it come from? Where will it go? I do struggle with that. Um, I have one daughter who is extremely intelligent. I mean, off the charts. When people say off the charts, this one's off the charts. The other one's very smart as well, but has to work at it like I have to. My wife is really smart, and it comes naturally. And my oldest daughter, it comes even more natural to her than it did to my wife. Mm-hmm. So I don't have fear that she's not going to get what she needs. Mm-hmm. I mean, she'll be a freshman next year in high school, and is going to be in taking calculus mm-hmm. calculus is, so she had to actually had to have a, a teacher Jeez. yeah so yeah, they, yeah. the school didn't want to do it right away and then she took a test and they're like oh yeah okay fine yeah you can do this um, as a seventh grader she wrote the entrance um essay for her cousin who's a freshman in college somewhere she wrote the essay for her cousin probably shouldn't say that <laughs> i didn't say for whom and to what college but um but my seventh grade, my, my my daughter who's going to be in seventh grade next year, she has to work at it like I have to work at it, and that's the one I'm worried about. I'm not worried about the older one. She'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. She will. I know she will. I just know she will. 
but I I'm wondering about um, the education system, what it's going to do for my younger daughter, and how mm. I think she may struggle. But I I I guess I also at the very end, I mean, my wife is Colombian, she's Latina, and um, she's an engineer, so she's smart. And she's feisty, and I think she will protect her youngest daughter. Yeah. But don't you think but, that there's something? But, but I fear for the other people who don't have that, like the people yeah. who work for me, or the younger kids that come in that are 16 years old that are running food yeah. at my restaurant who go to school at South Division. What a horrible high school that is. I drive by it. It scares the shit out of me. And I'm thinking, yeah. God, it, you know, and I try to do my best to try to slightly parent them. Sure, but I don't want to parent them too much because I know that they're not going to—they don't listen to their parents. Yeah, but I, mean, I have them captive for a little bit, so I try I to think, well, try to give them a little bit of my life button. experience. I, I was in a restaurant when I was sixteen. You know what's you're, funny? You're, you're a lot better than those people <laughs> morally. <laughs> but I think, but you know what? Again, it, it comes back to the—it's—it's it's just maybe it's just examples that you're around. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I think people can tell you to do anything, but. Children, young people, they're going to look and they're going to watch and they're going to see how it is that you actually do something yourself. It goes back right. to mm -hmm. it's you can you can tell someone something to do or you can show them what to do. And to show them what to do is infinitely more powerful and lasting. And I think that that's where that's where the truth lies. You know, if, if you and I also as far as what you said, as far as your younger daughter, maybe in the end. And the fact that she has to struggle and the fact that she has to work harder will ultimately prove more valuable to her. There's there are lessons to be learned in that. You know, Agreed. it's Agreed. it is the struggle. There is to struggle and to succeed builds in you a resilience and an appreciation of what it took you to get to where you are. Right. Like you and I have gotten to know each other some, and I don't know your story sort of as well as I should hope to one time, but all of your experiences working in the different kitchens that you worked in, seeing how things were done, seeing what you agreed with, seeing what you did not agree with, and having to sort of go through that, those trials and tribulations, I'm sure formed in you a more well-defined picture of what it was that you wanted for yourself and your vision of what you wanted when you became right. the restaurateur that you are today. I mean, would you agree with that? Agreed, 100%. You know, there's also an aspect of it too, which is interesting to me, like, like, this wine is absolutely amazing. It is really by the way. great. My God. Yeah. yeah. So th this is, it's, I think it's mostly old vine. It's, a, it's all old, 100 year old. It's, it's Grenache. No, no. It's Carignan. Carignan. Oh, wow. Okay. It is. There you go. And, and uh, Licorella, yeah. which is, I like using that word because it's fun, yeah. is um, slate. Mm -hmm. So the soil is 100% slate. It's a black and it's a black slate. Correct, Licorella. Licorella yeah. is a very specific kind of slate, black slate, exactly. Uh -huh. um, these guys bought this vineyard back in the '90s, and um, they bought what was kind of dilapidated. Mm -hmm. But the two guys that own it, Ferrer Bobet. Um, I don't know Ferrer, but I met Raul Bobet a couple of times. He's the one that. The importer that Nate and I have gotten to know really well. Vintas is a company out of New York. We've gotten to know the importer really well. They do this dog and pony show, and they bring them around to New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. And I've met Raul Bobet in Chicago like three or four times. And then we went out to visit the winery. He happened to be in Amsterdam at the time that and we it's, were there. It's, it's in Catalonia. It's in Spain in an area it's called Priorat. Priorat, in the middle of nowhere. eight 
not I think it's eight non-contiguous villages that are in the mountains. So like you can only call your wine Priorat if it's up above Correct. like a certain elevation on this one mountain or a certain elevation Correct. on this one. But a lot of it's this this crazy slate soil and it's called Priorat because it was a priory, as in there were mm-hmm. I don't know if a Roman know, priory. It was a Roman Yeah, and it's where the uh oh boy. I don't want to say Scala Day. It is Scala Day. Mm-hmm. It is Scala Day. Scala Day. Scala Day, which is which uh, literally translates as the the stairs of God. Yeah, yeah. The Scala Day Monastery was there, yep. and I don't know what priory, priory. Yeah, and that's kind of where the name comes from. Yep. Yeah, and up until the shit the eighties, there was a crap crap wines yeah. came out there. Well, yeah, and it's because it's like I mean it's impossible to farm. They didn't. <laughs> It is so impossible to farm. Like when you see like videos, we're go back to the talking about social media. We hate, but when you see like the goats that are like walking down things that you like, how the hell are the goats walking like, down just, just like on a sheer face? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. This is that. there's yeah. human beings that are that are that are harvesting vines on like like that in prior act. Right, like a, like a yeah. seventy degree pitch. Oh, yeah, right. it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, how come you guys aren't hooked into something? You guys really need to have a harness on. If you were in the United States, OSHA would be upset right now. <laughs> It'd be so pissed yeah, at I, watching I, you do this. I still can't wrap my head around quite the topography of of all of all of it. Yeah, it's um, but but it's it's really become like the preeminent. Well, next to Rioja, it's like the preeminent fine wine region of Spain. But it's a it's really cool because it's this super old wine region. But once again, you know, kind of like the the advent of the 21st century and like really the fall of Franco and all these things. Everything to do with Franco. All the, Back all to the, Tito. It had a lot it, to do with that. All of it had to come yep. into, you know, turn around and like, you know, international commerce is such that there's Franco a, there's, was in office until the 80s. Yep. 76? You sure it's No, 80s? he went in the 80s. I, I believe he went. 70, I want to say Him and Tito went really long. Yeah, oh, yeah, you might be, yeah. you might be, but regardless, regardless, these guys held an iron fist on their countries different and kept, si- different kept sides growth. of the different sides of the same coin, man. Yeah, yeah. You like, want to hear an interesting story? So I, when we were, uh, what this whole what, thing's about, baby. When we boy. went to uh, Slovenia, we went to uh, Lake Bled, <laughs> and uh, you were just talking about this, yeah. So Tito's private residence at Lake Bled is now a very, very nice hotel. Uh, and we were staying at another place in Bled, but we went, and they're very famous for uh, their cream cakes. So we sat on the veranda of Tito's, you know, like private, you know, lake <laughs> villa overlooking Lake Bled and had cake and coffee. And it was, if you know the history of, of that region, you just what an absolute oh. trip. Like, to, I wonder if, like, you know, Someone, if you told someone like back when I was born, like in '77, like that this right. that this would happen, you know what I mean? This yeah. was what was happening here at '77. Correct, but that one day, yeah, yeah, yeah. you will be in this place <laughs> having little, coffee having and cake, coffee and cake, right? It's just yeah. like, the it's almost cake. absurd. Right. If you think it is. About it yeah. is. It's like completely preposterous. Yeah. You're like this would, of course, never happen. And, and right. as always, the truth yeah. is, is stranger than fiction. So, and that's part of like the the wines of Priorat, and and another wine that I like a lot from Campo de Borja, like Alto Moncayo. Um, these are regions in Spain that were neglected because Franco neglected them. They weren't making him money like they were yeah, in Barcelona well, and and Madrid. So uh, they weren't. Region- wasn't, there just wasn't an international market. 
No, there wasn't a yeah. market. There wasn't the, the state the wasn't pushing it. The, the infrastructure, infrastructure wasn't there. Wasn't there. So these are hundred-year-old vines, carrying yeah. young vines, and these guys age them for a long time. It's organically done. I mean, they they hire people from the town to to harvest. It's everything that we all love about what they do, right? And it's not squeamish. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's not for it's the faint of heart. Like fifteen percent alcohol. No, it's fourteen point five. Yeah. Right. What does it say? Yeah, fourteen point five. Yeah. Fun, fun fact. Yeah. When for import imported wines in the United States are allowed a variance of one and a half degrees alcohol <laughs> by the, on the label. But this really? doesn't taste hot, though. Um, you think it's hot? I, I don't. <laughs> he yeah. drinks a lot more wine than you yeah, and I. Well, Probably and much I, you I and I do combined. I think about it from that standpoint too. You know what? You know what the signature of it actually? The ripeness of mm. it shows the alcohol more than the the heat of the alcohol. Does. That's what I mean. Does that? But does that's that make sense? That makes sense. I like it's what you're so there. hedonistic and rich and ripe mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, I know that how I know about how strong this is because it's like. Oh wow! You know, well, it's not it's it's not a hot wine because there's so much else going on. That, yeah, that it's all on the same level. Sure, and I and it's yeah, and it's not like you're not getting the right. Vicks vapor no, rub. Not, yeah, right. it's not, not burning, but it's mm-hmm. like it is. It is. It's it, a superb wine. Yeah, it's, it's real, <laughs> really. It's a fun wine. And this is the it's old cool. vine thing. They, I mean, yeah, it's like the the big debt. Thanks, man. Yes, my yeah, pleasure. I got to sell you this probably like seven years ago, and now I'm drinking oh, God, it with longer you, than so. that. Yeah. Well, this wine here, you probably did probably sell me this. Is. Yeah, pro- yeah. This particular did. bottle, sure you did, did sell me. I'm sure I did. Yeah. yeah. Do you think Thank you guys for sharing you think all this? That yeah. um, that like there is a growing appreciation for the finer things that people are. Ooh. And what <sighs> I mean by that is this. For example, when like let's talk cars for a second. When Ferrari first came out, right, um, it was it was not a status symbol per se. Uh-huh. It was again a work of art. It mm-hmm. was we hand stitched the, the pursuit seats. of the pursuit of excellence. It was we're going to like it was we are going to build something that is more beautiful and of higher mm-hmm. performance than anything else that is out there. And it, they didn't do it to make money. In fact, I would venture to say that their production line is still quite limited. And, and it is. Right. And they're profitable, but it's everything is made to order, right? If you've you know been to England and I have like Savile Row, right? A tailored, right. a bespoke suit, a tailored suit is a thing of, of beauty, right? And, but again, like these things cost I wonder if there is sort of a shift in the wind to I need less of things, but, but I prefer to have better yeah. of those things. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yes, but there's two sides of that coin back to yeah. using the, your the, words. The, the, um, who the, places the value on anything, right? And yeah. who's to say who's to say that that wine from Slovenia is not as good as the wine we're having right now? True yeah. story. That, and, that's, and that's, a real, is, that's a real – that's a real sea change that's happening, which is Agreed. pretty amazing. And that's the thing. Like someone yeah. who's got a really good palate like Nate. And Man. I think as chefs go, I have a really good palate. But Nate's got a phenomenal palate. And he's the one that could find yeah. that $15 wine from Slovenia that if it was made 
and pre-ordered, it'd be a hundred dollars. Absolutely. Am I wrong? Well, I mean, yes, yeah, I am I, correct. Well, I, no, but it's it's an understanding of the broader market, the the subjective value, and subjective value is a weird. How do you how right. do you how well, do you that's define a big that? Big thing. Well, because people that? are paying for the name. We went to Portugal, yeah. right, and we traveled around oh, Portugal. It's ridiculous! We were how all cheap over the Algarve Super coast. Super cheap. Yeah. It was yeah. absurdly cheap, and the wines are. Amazing. The wines are ridiculous. The house wines are incredible. We would go to, you know, I think we were in Evora and Uh we had dinner at this restaurant and sure, we'll have- Everything's cheap in Portugal. We couldn't even believe it. Yeah. Like that place is one of the, Uh, I have traveled extensively and that for sure was one of the best I'll go on the record and the the wines that are like US $10, which are probably like- three or four euro right in portugal i they're the they're probably globally that and spanish you know a variety of different spanish red wines are so the quality to value is is light years beyond anything it's else like no place no, i've and ever it'll, been it'll, before it's gonna be that way for decades i'll add it's gonna mendoza be fair but they don't have the they don't have the breadth and depth like okay Portugal and Spain correct yeah that's true yeah but they, they, they are very bordeaux they, they, down they in just Mendoza they, we had they wines got, they, in Portugal yeah. that seven euros and we're like this is easily a 200 dollars bottle of wine I mean there's but no you're question right about, about the breadth the breadth we, yeah. the breadth of Portugal it, is shocking it's yeah. so hard like because I sell so much stuff from there that's like Ten, like eight, twelve, fifteen dollars, and people don't buy it because, because it's of that. cheap. Because, because it's of cheap. that, exactly. We have a right. hard, I have a hard time when things are like thirty bucks. I'm like, well, there's this whatever you know, Tariga Nacional. Oh my god, you know, Tintororis, whatever this this blend that nobody would know anyways. Um, here's the thirty dollar one. Can I actually wholeheartedly sell this? as being three times as good as the $10 one, I can't. Right. So then so much of the Portuguese selection of, and I've full disclosure, I sell wine and work at a wine shop. I mean, if that I get what you're across. saying. Yeah. But I think there's, you guys there's are a wrong. Play, there's a play. I think I'm wrong too, but I don't, it's hard because I also don't, a lot of those wine, the higher end wines don't come to the market because there's, there's demand for how great the inexpensive wines are. So it, it's, it's like a, Mm, I'm I, I'm struggling for an analogy or something. Like it is tough because I'll find stuff that's like ten bucks. It goes from like ten dollars to thirty, and right. a lot of times there there's a gulf right. in that 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 price point. And it, it's 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 wild, man. You know. Yeah. But you know my philosophy. Let me real quick, Adam. Yeah. yeah. So we have a couple of high end wines, but not many. Sure. But the high end wines that we have are great value wines, mm-hmm. and the cheap wines we have. Our great yeah, value wines, I mean, and we go out of our way to find wines, and we don't mark them up a lot on do purpose. You, is there anything you sell there that's more than a hundred bucks? Yeah, right there's now? three. There's two wines. Okay. Um, shut it off the pop. Um, Bo Castell. No, currently right now is viewed to Telegram. Oh, okay. Um, Brunier fam. Yeah, well, I like yeah, them though, yeah. and I like their wines. Really good. Um, we have a Napa Valley Cab. And we have um, – I'm drawing a blank on my other wine. But regardless, we we mark up everything just a little bit beyond 2% because 
two times because we have half price bottle line on Monday and I don't want to lose money. Sure. Money. But I want to make money, but I don't want I want people to get good money. Wine. Right. I want people to get good yeah. wine. Our Alto Moncayo is seventy dollars. Oh wow. And that's pretty damn close to what a retail price would be right. on that wine. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's like going to the store. It's like going to the store. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, I think with, with all of the things that we're talking about, whether it's wine or food or anything else, people need to be shown. They need to be led. Exposed. They don't, yeah. Exactly. You don't know what you don't know. You simply, you don't. You don't. You walk in, I go, I come and I see you at, at the shop, and yeah. there is just this bewildering choice of wines from all over the world. And how could you possibly, uh-huh. like, it, it's just... The, the options are so vast. Yeah. Right? It's funny. And so, so if you have someone like Nate or like Peter uh, to say, let's let's take a step back. Right. Look at this. Try this. Consider this. This is where this comes from. This is who produces this. This is a little bit of the region. This is whatever. Yeah. And behind all of it, and this is kind of the thing I wanted to touch at here, and this is what you do, I think, so brilliantly, is the story. 100%. Everything tells a good is story. about the story, <laughs> but the food tells a story. The yeah. wine tells a yeah. story. The chef tells a story. The sommelier tells the story. Uh-huh. And is the story that gives, like, it gives depth and character and intrigue to whatever the experience is. Right? It's like, it's like, uh, let, like let's take. You said, for example, uh, your wife made a couch, right? <laughs> so I remember, right? Remember the Auntie Grocho? Remember that yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, I used yeah. to love that. Yeah. I, okay. Well, okay. Here's a chair. Uh-huh. But they would have some expert on there, some chair expert. And yeah. be like, interesting about this chair. This chair was made by this chair company uh-huh. back in Boston. And the uh-huh. owner was part of, like, you know, the Boston Tea Party and it this, that, whatever. It's a subjective right? value. And through all the story. of a sudden, right. this yeah. chair, which was just another chair, is no uh-huh. longer just a chair. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And I think that's the thing. It's not just yeah. a glass of wine. It's this glass of wine out of this bottle, out of this barrel, out of this vineyard, and this is why it's special. I think that that's what people need to embrace is the story because the story makes it unique in a way that that is undeniable. It's human. It becomes human. It does. It does exactly that. It's it's the trick, and it's it's. I say it's the trick, but it's like. Yeah, and like, yeah, I love this guy. You know, he's a great guy. When I first met you, you know, like I was like, we talked about music. You were like, why? How are you? It's nine hundred degrees outside. Why are you wearing corduroys or something? <laughs> You're like, corduroy. I'm like, I'm still, it's fifteen years later. I'm like, I'm like wearing like corduroy. Yeah, but, but you know, I knew, and this is, I just thought of this this turn of phrase. It's like, you know, I, your goal and my goal is like uh, to be the gatekeeper. But to be egalitarian right. about yes. it. Yes. Yes. You know? And and that and that's like that's fulfilling to me. So you know, and our, it's kind of it's kind your of your place in my it's restaurant. Vo- it's vocational though. Correct. And you at know? your place and at my restaurant, I know that this is Not done place, by the prices yeah. that you guys yeah. charge and what we charge. I can't reach everyone. I can't. I just we're, can't. Yeah. It's we're, hard. We're not the cheapest date in town. No, and yeah. I'm not either, but I yeah. can't reach everyone in the sense like is you everyone that comes to yeah. the door I can't tell my you're story to. You're not supposed to. to reach everyone. That's the thing. You're I know, supposed to reach who you can. I get that. And, but I hope through the prices that at least some people who I don't reach will at least try something they've yes. never tried before. Yes. For sure. And 100%. Absolutely that. 100%. Absolutely. You know yeah. where it's at. Yeah. Oh, I'll continue. I'll. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, I think that was the appeal. Like when I was really young, you know, when I was 21, and I was like, when I finally, when like I decided, like, oh man, wine's really fascinating to me, was because I did realize, like, wow, there's there, this kind of there's something for everybody here. Even like, there's always some. There's always globally. Some and this is what's great about the U.S. too, and the fact that we are just like, just so fucking hungry and want just and want the next new thing and the next thing and the the biggest and the brightest is that people kind of are willing to take the risk and bring in wines from places and experience them and like we we I think a lot of times we forget like we get bogged down in all the bullshit of of our culture, but like we're an experiential culture. Very we much. We do want that experience, and it's like. So how do we how do you take that and turn it into like not only a positive thing but like one you know that that all the boats rise in the tide you know well, yeah I, I yeah. completely agree with you that know, I, I think, think it's the great I think it's one of the great it's like the it's the thing that Jack Kerouac loves about America you know you know what I mean yeah and it's the thing absolutely. that Bob Dylan well what likes it is, about is, America is, or something well, you know you're not you're not conformist. And that's the thing. Yeah. It's like it's the willingness to sort of strike out into uncharted uh-huh. territory and to and to and to experience what is in that place we're, in a way that perhaps is unconventional. Well, we're privileged enough to be able to create our own culture. Yes. Yeah. Right. I, uh-huh. I agree with that. Like that, that we're certainly like as a very young country uh-huh. still. Yeah. We're still kind of writing. And, and who got to be like nobody else got to be like. We get to try it from scratch. <laughs> well, no, that's everyone got to try from scratch, but it was just that after a while, you're not from scratch anymore. Fair. We came about because this country was formed at a time where most countries were already established, and all of a sudden, we found this big chunk of ground on the other side of this body uh-huh. of water where there weren't a lot of people. Now, there's a whole lot of commentary that can be done as far as oh, what was sure. done the, to the, the people yeah, who were yeah, ex- here, exactly. which is ex- another exactly. topic for yeah, that's, that's But all of a sudden, you came here, and it was people that were not satisfied with the status quo of wherever they came from and came here and were like, we're going to do something different. But uh, conceptually, like, touching on for the people, by the people. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But what they did is they came here, and they were just like, we don't like all the rules and regulations uh-huh. And there's, which is the hilariously ironic part, because all we do right now is make it's, rules and regulations. And regulations yeah. But when when you look at what this country was founded on, it was a meritocracy. Who can mm-hmm. do it? Was it was the willingness to go and create and to strike mm-hmm. out a new ground, and all the great art that came out of here. When you think about it's things Jesus. like, I mean, rock and roll. And, and that whole thing, I mean, like, why is why is American culture, why for so long was that looked at around the world as, like, iconic, right? Sure. It was because, like, it was literally the Wild West. It was something from nothing. Right? A lot of times, yeah. I mean, it just, people were just like, I'm going to do it like this. Like I shouldn't you said. say something from nothing, but it was the, uh, there was the, the alchemy. Well, they just took the restrictor plate off and they put everything mm-hmm. into the pot together and they mixed it together and they lit it on fire and they're like, let's see what comes out of this yeah. magic potion, right? Yeah. And and so much great stuff came out of that. Henry Rollins had this great thing where he, I forget who he was talking about, 
but he was talking about a, a club owner. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that he just had the space and he's like, I love this guy because he just had this raw space in this empty stage and he would just let amazing things happen on it. Mm. Right? Yeah. The willingness to get into whatever and to mix it up and to fail and to like maybe come up with like something terrible or whatever, you have to be willing to get in there and, and try and try and try again and to mm-hmm. come up with things that are garbage. But you're going you're gonna to hit on that one recipe that you're like, it all comes together. Mm-hmm. Like I never would have seen these ingredients coming together in this fashion, but they did, and it's an absolute masterpiece. And you wouldn't know that if you never tried. You know, absolutely. I yeah, think and it's funny. We we lost the open mindedness in this country. I think in the last decade, we went from being like the sort of the freewheeling, like let's try this out, like light the fuse and send that rocket into the sky and let's see what happens to just this quarreling. <laughs> like like nest of of malcontents and i'm not with yeah. that i'm yeah. not with that at all i want to do this i want to sit with a good buddy and a new buddy and get into some wine and beat up some cheese and have some good conversation and maybe we don't all agree on something but maybe peter says something that i'm like i had never thought about it like that before and i go to bed tonight and i mull it over and i'm like you know what there's there's some inherent wisdom in that and i need to think about that and maybe just in the littlest way through what he says or the example he sets whether it's as the the owner right or the chef or the procurer of these of product from these small farms that a little bit at a time through just through who he is he enacts a positive change i think that that's what it's about yeah it's about the grassroots. Yeah. It's always about the grassroots, yeah. in my opinion. I mean, hey, man, five miles from here, like, the, the first commercially usable motorcycle was created by some guys just in a goddamn garage. Right? You know? <laughs> and look at it now. Right? Yeah. I think that's what it's all about, man. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. But um, well, I think we're going to tie a bow on this one here. But <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I, uh, I really appreciate both you gentlemen sitting down and peter like from the heart what you do how you do it you know thank you i know many many people who greatly appreciate it and they don't have the chance to sit here right now and say it so thank you for me and from them and from everybody else like keep doing it man like we'll we'll keep you gotta love what you do you have to love what you do absolutely why bother doing it and we love what you do so um please tell people um where they can find you the restaurants and so forth and how they can look them up uh, Lamrenda is at 125 East National Avenue, and our website is lamrenda125.com. And our uh, second restaurant is Engine Company Number Three. That's at 217 West National, so it's just a block away from the other one. And that is simply Engine Company and the Number Three.com. There you go. And Nate, how can people find oh, you? Oh wow, I am the Wine Spirits Director at Raise Wine Spirits at 89. 89- 30 East North Avenue here in Owawatosa, Wisconsin. Both of Peter's uh, restaurants are in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, yeah. All Thanks. right. Yeah. And if you want to reach us, you can reach us at uh, modernsavagenation at gmail.com. The website is uh, www.modernsavagenation.com. And you can find us on Instagram at, at modernsavagenation. All right, guys. See you next time. Cheers.